Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As promised, we will go over the defensive end room today. Plus, is Chip Kelly's offense coming to Cleveland? You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast, an iconoclastic look at the latest Cleveland Browns news. The What the Elf Was That podcast is part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here's your host, Joel Cade. What the Elf Was That? Thank you for joining us this week on What the Elf Was That? This week we have Randy Gersey, editor of Dog Pound Daily. Say hi, hey. Randy. Hey, Joel. Thanks a lot for having me, man. Looking forward to this. Oh, thanks for, for coming on. I, I write so many articles weekly for Dog Pound Daily that I know that you and I are in constant contact. You know, Actually, folks, you're, that's a joke. I don't write many You are definitely but. the most tenured writer. So, so you have that going on although you were there before me but then i think you got kicked off for inactivity and then no so, no but that that doesn't count okay so that i didn't know if, i didn't know if there's like a lapse in there or if like you you you, you keep that that tenure. I, no i keep the tenure cool i keep the tenure so uh this week i promised you guys last week that we'd talk about the defensive end room and then we didn't do it so I got to keep that promise up this week. We're talking about the defensive end room. And I've mentioned on the last podcast, Randy, just to catch you up, how the Browns are going under Jim Schwartz from a single gap system where a defensive lineman is responsible for one gap to a double gap system. And so what we've been doing is kind of going through the defensive line rooms, asking, does this person fit a single gap, double gap system and anything else that comes up to mind? So Randy, your initial thoughts. What do you think about the defensive end room this year under Jim Schwartz? I really like the defensive end room a lot. Um, what I, the first thing that you're kind of going to notice is, um, and I actually have it coming out in an article I wrote tomorrow. I was talking about, you know, the first day of OTAs, kind of seeing how everybody fits in. And the first thing you're going to notice is they, they not only replaced what they lost from last year with uh, Jadavion Clowney, uh, Chase Winovich uh, leaving, um, but they also went out and got – you know, Zadarius Smith, who I think is an improvement, is an upgrade. I think mm-hmm. that Ogbo Okoronkro is an upgrade over Chase Winovich. And then they also add Isaiah McGuire in the fourth round, who I absolutely loved. I thought that the fourth round was a steal for him. I thought for sure he'd be, you know, a, a third-round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've also still got Alex Wright, who I was really, really high on last year coming in as a third-round pick. But I think another thing you'll notice with that defensive end room and tell me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong if you're seeing this too, but I feel like they've set it up to where – 
you 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 have versatility to not only use them at the defensive end, but you can slide guys like Alex Wright, who's 270 pounds, in as a defensive tackle as a three technique on pass rushing situations. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the defensive line room as a whole, we haven't kind of gotten into this a lot, but the defensive line room as a whole is becoming more fluid yeah. in that you can have some defensive tackles play out at the end. You can play some defensive ends in on the defensive tackle, depending on what the situation is addressed. I think the real change on the defensive line is the technique that's going to be required to play defensive line. And not everyone is built to play this technique is what I've, I've noticed when I went back and did film study. I went back and I watched film on Alex Wright, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Zadarius Smith, you know, Ogbo Okoronkwo. you got to say that slow. Mm-hmm. Isaiah McGuire, the whole crew back there. And I think there are some defensive ends that are more ready to handle the challenge that Schwartz is going to give as opposed to Joe Woods. Um, who do you like in this room? Randy, who do you think is like, I think this person's going to to shine under this defense? I think Oka Ronkro will. I think that he's got that kind of stand-up pass rushing uh, ability, which is interesting because they have got a few guys that have that. you got him. You have Zadir Smith did that in Baltimore and uh, Green Bay. Uh, and Isaiah McGuire did it a little bit at Missouri as well. But I think that uh, Schwartz will move them around. He did some, does some of that wide nine where he really puts the defensive ends out a little bit further to where mm-hmm. those guys that have that, you know, first step quickness can really shine. And I think that he's got that. I think he's an ascending player. Um, I know last year, I believe he had like five sacks. He's only got like nine sacks in his career. Um, but he really started to have really a lot of success, a really high pass rush win rate last year. So I think he's somebody that I can see. I don't, I don't think, you know, I, I never thought he was an every down defensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought even after they signed him, like, hey, you got to get somebody else that can play in there. You can probably be asking Alex Wright to do that a lot. I didn't really think he was ready. So the Zedaria Smith move is huge. It gives you another year to get right ready. And it, it keeps from really kind of beating up Okoronkwo on the first and second downs when you can let him come out there and just really pin his ears back in passing situations. So I noticed you're saying stuff about Alex Wright. Um, I think Alex Wright, of the, the people who are in the stable, is probably best set up to succeed under, under Jim Schwartz. Because um, take out Miles Garrett, take out Ogbo, uh, take out... Zadarius Smith. I think Alex Wright is the only one in college who played a defensive end that would be similar to what he's doing in Jim Schwartz's defense. He had to play double gap. He wasn't the most technically sound defensive end, which is why he's probably going in the third round. Um, But at least there's a ball of clay there. I'm concerned with some of the other guys that you don't really have that. And in particular, I think Isaiah Thomas here might be a real... I don't know if he's going to... He might end up being on the practice squad for this situation starts. Um, yeah. Any thoughts? No, I agree with you. I did um, not long after the draft, and this was even before Zadarius Smith. Um, I did a prediction for a 53-man roster, and I had Thomas kind of on the outside looking in. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I really do like him. I think he was a great seventh-round pick. The Browns haven't had a ton of success with seventh-round picks. So, you know, he came in and he did well. You know, Demetric Felton? He was a sixth-rounder. Oh, man, I was hoping uh, it was a seventh. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a sixth rounder, and that's why everyone thought he was going to be great because uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones was a sixth rounder the year before. So it's like, Andrew Barry did it again. But um, no, I, but I agree with you. I, I, I love Alex Wright's game. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I, I've been a fan of his. He was somebody I really, you know, I, I didn't know a lot about him until the scouting combine last year, and I really just started watching him and uh, seeing what he can do. And just like you said, he's he's a, he's a moldable piece of clay. And I think I think Joe Woods got a lot of heat, um, that, and a lot of it I don't think was deserved. I think that, you know, he, he yes, he, he had his flaws, uh, but at the same time, you know, you, you can only do so much of what you're given, and he had a whole lot of injuries. Um, didn't really have the best defensive line. Part of that also was on him because those were players he he preferred. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think it wasn't just a you know people were like, oh Joe Woods is terrible, let him go. I, I think there was more to it than that. But I think Jim Schwartz will be huge for Alex Wright because we saw a little bit, uh, saw him flash a little as a rookie. But now you get a much much more successful defensive coordinator who has that kind of that background and you know, that gravitas to to right. really push right where he needs to go. One of the things I liked about Alex Wright was that he played in a double gap scheme in college. So when he came into the Browns, he had to learn how to just like, okay, I'm just going to shoot this gap and get in the backfield and try to disrupt. As we're in college, he's doing a lot of more reading, reacting, and then doing that. So I think this is going to play to his strength. Um, Speaking of our defensive end room, some jerk went out there on Dog Pound Daily and wrote this article about how Zadarius Smith, is he a locker room cancer? So tell me, as the editor of Dog Pound Daily, who was the jerk, number one? And two, have you fired him yet? Uh, Joel Cade's the jerk at no. Um, he's got a lot of um, blackmail against me, so he gets away with tons of stuff. But uh, That yeah, night here, he's got tenure on you, too. Yeah, he's got tenure on me, so I, I can't touch him. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, I have a file. I have a very, very long file on him. But, you know, I can't do anything just yet. But no, uh, it, it was funny because I, I, I kind of had a few snarky responses on Twitter. I, I, I do my best not to respond on Twitter because people don't go there to have, you know, engaging conversations. They go there to call you an idiot. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, if I want to get judged and call an idiot, be called an idiot, I'll call my mother. You know, I don't need Twitter to do that. <laughs> so, I've got a brother that's good for that, too. Yeah, um, my brother, too. Yeah, you know, we, we have family for that. But um, I, I, a couple of my responded because they were just like, where is this coming from? Like, well, if you read the article, he's re- right. responding to what Albert Breer said. Um, I, I don't think Albert Breer was right, but I thought it was a fair question. Like, hey, if somebody who's got the poll that Albert Breer does is over here throwing that around, that hey, maybe he's a locker room cancer. I, you know, that's a fair question. So, I mean, what was your take on it? Would you agree that? So, my Breer- take was. My take was just essentially what I, I'm sure you're sick of hearing me say over the past seven years when I've written a dog pound daily, which is at some point you have to bring in people with character issues because as Mike Pettin said, and I think Mike Pettin's right, you don't win games with Boy Scouts and you're going to have to have some people that may have a sketchy past and you bring them in because they can play football. And I think the same thing's going on with Elijah Moore. I mean, he's had some arguments over there in New York. He's had some issues, but he can play football despite what, other people I talk to think he can play football. So, you know, you got to take chances on guys. I don't think he's going to be a locker room guy. I think his issues are around contracts. And then when he gets upset about his contract, he may let it affect him a little bit. But who of us doesn't let our personal life affect our work from now and then? I, I think it's hilarious because people act like, you know, players are just supposed to be perfect. And you don't realize like the majority of these guys are younger. They're all younger. They're all younger than you and I, but the majority of us that are on people on Twitter, it's like, these guys are still younger than you. And you're sitting here, Oh, in my career, if I did this or this or this, like, no, if, if you were a 20 something year old and became a millionaire, you'd probably be a jerk. You know, like I would have been absolutely awful. Like if I was right. 21, 22 being a millionaire. So 
to sit here and just act like these guys are supposed to be like you know morally superior and if anybody doesn't have check every single box if they're a terrible human being it's, it's ridiculous and, and, now, and it, another thing you pointed out right there you're saying you know which one of us hasn't been unhappy in a certain situation well a lot of times that you're true you, you look at our day-to-day job you may be at a job you're not happy with the pay maybe you're not happy with the hours maybe your boss doesn't respect you whatever and you end up finding a better job you leave and you succeed there you do well there so why is it such a crazy idea that Elijah Moore wasn't happy with New York, but might be great in Cleveland? You know, if he's happier there, same as Darius Smith, you know, maybe and Smith, I don't think it's a long-term option. Maybe he's only here for one year. He yeah, I agree. Be motivated. He could be motivated in that one year to come in and try to prove that he can get one more good contract from somebody else. And sometimes yeah. it's great to have that guy. I agree. I mean, I think I, I, I agree. You Sometimes you got to take the chances. Just because they don't succeed one place doesn't mean they can't succeed somewhere else. All right, let's switch gears here on to an interview by Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I get that right? I don't follow the quarterbacks that much. I like the line, people. I get all these linemen correct, except for Ogbo. I can't say his name. Dorian (laughs) Thompson-Robinson was doing an interview, one of those stand-ups after a practice, whatever, and said that he felt like the Browns' offense was a lot like Chip Kelly's offense. So that raises the question, as as any of you may have heard the uh, Football Philosophy and Rocket Science podcast, where Elliot and I talked about the cap-friendly offense because it has a fullback, tailback, two tight ends, whatever. Um, if you're going to the Chip Kelly offense, how different, Randy, do you think that's going to be from what Kevin Stefanski is running right now? I think it'll be different than what we're used to seeing, but I think it's what Stefanski's wanted to do all along. I don't think Stefanski really wanted to be that run the ball 20 to 30 times a game kind of guy. Um, he, he he wants to be able to run. He wants to be able to do that. But if you look at a lot of time that he was in Minnesota, they were much more mm-hmm. of a, an aerial attack. I don't Absolutely. Think he, yeah, I don't think he ever wanted to be paying, you know, almost $20 million a year to running backs um, and, you know, just bulldozing people. You want to have that ability, but I think he understands that in the NFL today, you're going to have to be able to win with your quarterback. You're going to have to be able to win with, with passing. And, and and the Chip Kelly offense, I think a lot of people get confused by it. They, they hear it and they think it's, you know, same as just a zone read quarterback running all the time. When it's really not, it's just about tempo. It's about movement, getting – getting to the line, getting the plays, you know, kind of having some deception. They have a lot, they call a lot of the same plays, but we'll have different options. You know, your receiver's going to line up in the same spot, but based on what the receiver or the safety or the corners are lined up, they have three different, three or four different routes, whatever, they're going to run off of that. So it's just a lot of, you know, deception, a lot of tempo, and it definitely helps when um, your quarterback can run, um, which was – I kind of Chip Kelly's downfall. I won't dive into that just yet, but um, <laughs> I, have, I have a theory on that if you want to hear it. But um, the, I, I, what I like the best about what Cleveland's done is I feel like they've put quarterbacks together. Dorian Thompson Robinson was one of my favorite quarterbacks in the draft. I absolutely loved him. But they've got quarterbacks who can play the same offense. And if mm-hmm. you notice what happened with Jacoby Brissett, they had to kind of tailor their offense to him. Then when Deshaun Watson came in, they tried to switch it right. up a little bit. It, it didn't work. It was ugly. You're not going to have that this year. If Watson misses any time, you know, whichever quarterback comes in is going to run the same offense. They're not going to run it as well as he is, but you also don't have to have a wholesale change. So I like it. I love the fast pace offense. Um, I think it would have worked with Chip Kelly if he could have gotten out of his own damn way. Um, 
and what I was going to say about him, but his downfall was he came in and he's got mobile quarterbacks mm-hmm. and, and he could actually succeed with them. But, you know, media is talking about, oh, it's a run for, you know, you got to have running quarterbacks, got to have mobile quarterbacks. So he was so arrogant and wanted to prove that everybody was wrong and didn't know him that he went out and got quarterback with like 80 year old knees and Sam Bradford just to prove, <laughs> Oh no, I can do it with any quarterback. And it ended up being his downfall. It was like, dude, you had like the perfect offense with, you know, Nick Foles was doing fine in it. Um, mm-hmm. Even Tim, Tim Tebow, he had on the bench. I was like, he probably could have ran that offense a little better than Sam Bradford. And then you had um, probably a great East West runner in LaShawn McCoy, great deep field threat and uh, Deshaun Jackson. He gets rid of all of them, gets Sam Bradford and, Marco Murray, who's a north-south runner, and it just it didn't work. It was so ugly. But yeah, I, I like the offense. I like mm-hmm. it even better when Chip Kelly doesn't get in the way. <laughs> yeah, I think you said it right there. There's a lot of options, right? You can call the same play, but there's a lot of options based on what the defense is giving you to run. And this was a kind of a system that Deshaun Watson was successful in when he was in Texas. Now, Randy, yeah. I know you've got a history of covering Texas football some I don't know if it was that time during Deshaun Watson but maybe you could give us some insight how would Deshaun Watson fit into such an offense I mean he fits perfectly into it because Deshaun Watson is he's very underrated as far as like his his football intelligence I don't think people realize how smart he is. let me interject here let me interject here if you guys haven't had a chance, you should absolutely get one of these post-game pressers where he is explaining what was going on in a play. One, yeah. it's funnier than crap to listen to. And two, it's really insightful. Like, he knows exactly what everyone is doing on the field when it goes down. But I digress. There's one. Go ahead. No, there's – and I mean, I was thinking of one that – I'm glad you said that because I was thinking about one that he had when he was in Houston – and it was a game where he literally, I don't think he ever threw the ball more than 10 yards down the field. And afterwards, one of the reporters had asked him, you know, why didn't you try to stretch the field? And he said, do you know what a cover four defense is? And then he kind of, they were kind of laughing like he was being a smart ass, but he's like, I'm really not trying to be a jerk. I'm asking if you understand what it is. And he broke down what the cover four is, what the safeties were doing, what the corners were doing, and why they thought their best attack was, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of do the, the short to intermediate. Um, and they ended up winning that game, but it was kind of one of those where it might have been easier on you if you threw the ball downfield, and he explained why they didn't. Um, so right. but you're absolutely right. His, his, his football mind is phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you put a guy like him in an offense where it's you know predicated, it's all about reading what the defense is doing and finding the best way to attack it. I think he's excellent at that, and I think they've done a great job of putting the right pieces around him. You know, Elijah Moore is kind of – that one piece they were missing. They didn't have that guy that could right. move from the spot to the outside. That was just, you know, just people Jones and Cooper are fast. They're, they're fast, but Moore is lightning fast and incredibly shifty and he could be a nightmare after the catch. So I really right. like the piece that they did in the office. And I think it fits what Sean Watson does perfectly. Yeah. I think, I think if, as I think you and I were trying to temper last year, like, like last season is just gone before it starts. I think yeah. this year the Browns are really putting together an offense for Deshaun Watson. And I think yeah. they're putting the piece for Deshaun Watson. It's like they knew he wasn't going to be around last year and was like, well, what do we do? Let's just uh, run this stuff for a year and wait till next year. I don't all think right, they so- thought he'd play at all last year. Um, I think they thought he would be suspended for the whole year. And uh, I think one of my favorite things, I'm glad it's over, but mm. last year, during the first 11 games of the season, every week we'd get a, a message from you in Slack that said, 10 more, nine yep. more, 
It was just kind of reminding us all. Just like, the countdown. Like, yeah, it's countdown until they get their real quarterback. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're watching a backup. We're watching 330-pound Bravion Roy chase this guy down from behind. So yeah. well, this is not our starting quarterback. <laughs> let's just let's just embrace it. Everybody was just like, this guy's great. We should start him over Watson. Like, no, people. No. I saw people talking about, no, we should never let someone wear number seven again. I'm like, dude, he went four and seven. Stop it. Like, yeah, he's a likable guy, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're up on the station break. So uh, you're listening to What the Elf Was That podcast. I'm here with Randy Gersey. Uh, editor for Dog Pound Daily. Um, so stay tuned. After the break, we'll come back and catch up on our Ravens hate for the week and what the NFL owners are up to. Hang on. And we're back. So as you all know who listen to my podcast faithfully, I love to hate on the Ravens just because, well, they're the Ravens. So this past week in Ravens news... Um, you know, I always tend to read the athletic and there's always some stupidity going on. So I got some more athletic stupidity for you, but Randy, I first have a question for you. So OBJ apparently got a lot of press over the weekend because he got to say riders up at the Preakness. So here, here's my question for you. How and why is this man still relevant? I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious. You know, um, you, you know, I don't hate Baker Mayfield. You know, correct. I met Baker a couple of times. I, I like him. He's, he's an incredibly likable person. And but it was, you know, it, it didn't work in Cleveland. But if you notice, no matter what, people just hate Baker Mayfield. He's a bum. He's no good. He's actually done more since leaving Cleveland than OBJ has. Yes, OBJ, you know, had a little stretch there with the Rams. They won a Super Bowl. They did that. But that was it. Like he did. You know, and he was, well, third option there. Yeah, he did fine. But, I mean, I just, I don't understand it either, why everyone just assumes OBJ is still, like, this premier and elite player. And it's hilarious to me that everybody in the NFL seemed to kind of see that. And it took him forever to find a job. And there was, mm-hmm. like, a laughable, I want $20 million a year. And the Ravens were like, we'll guarantee you 15 Like, the hell were you thinking? Like, he wasn't getting $15 million from anybody. Um yeah, no, I don't know how he's still relevant. Um, Randy, I would encourage you to go back to some of my Ravens hate segments. I spent an entire segment hating on that contract. Like, what it's in ridiculous. the world? Is, what the elf was that? You know, yeah. the contract. I mean, anyway, I understand he like wasted all of his money because he wanted his whole contract from Los Angeles Rams to be in Bitcoin and end up making like twenty grand or something for that whole entire season. Yeah. But, I was like a great investment. Good job. I don't know what. I mean, again, this. I, OBJ is something all by himself, and I, I still fail to see how he's relevant in anything and anywhere at any time right now. Maybe he's just a cultural icon. I, you know, I've never seen one man make so much money off one catch in his entire life because I and can't they think lost of anything else. And I can't think of anything else he's done. But anyway, we should go on to the real reason we're here for that Ravens hate. The Athletic is out there again putting out articles on just how great the Ravens are. And as I pointed out last time, no matter how hard you try to hype this Ravens team, the reality of who they are just keeps coming out. Like, you can say, oh, this is great, this is great, that's great. But even in the end, it's like you have to qualify their greatness to the point where like it just nullifies everything. But this week, I saw an article, and I'm going to quote something for you here, then we can talk about it. 
where The Athletic posted an article. And on the front of the article is like this triptych, which is like three pictures. But it has a picture here, a person here, and a person in the middle, like the the old Roman Catholic triptychs, right? And in the middle is Lamar Jackson, you know, big smiley face. Then on the left is Todd Monken in a Browns hoodie, okay? And on the right is OBJ in his Rams uniform. They probably didn't want to put him in the Browns uniform because he didn't want to flank Lamar Jackson with two Browns and then just say, hey, these are the two people that are going to, like, save the Ravens franchise. But the the one paragraph that I want to talk about, because it, it baffles me that this stuff gets published. I mean, I would write this paragraph, Randy. I would expect you to send this paragraph back to me and say, you need to do something better than this. So I didn't get the author's name, which is probably good for the author. Um, so here's the paragraph. With Greg Roman now gone. The Ravens hope they can take the next step with their new offensive coordinator, Todd Monken, who has roots in the air raid offense. Now, hang on to that air raid offense piece. Monken was successful, or excuse me, Monken was an offensive coordinator with the Buccaneers and Browns before enjoying a wildly successful two-year stint at the University of Georgia. With the Buccaneers, the only team Monken has ever called plays for, His offenses were explosive passing attacks, but turned the ball over at a pretty high rate. With the Ravens, Monken will be tasked with marrying Greg Roman's run game with a more sophisticated pass game. Okay. So I'm pretty convinced, Randy, if I send this to you, you're sending this back to me with explain some of these terms. So I'm going to put out my issues with this and then I'll let you tell me what your issues are. One, you've just said he's in the air raid offense, which is uh-huh. not a sophisticated passing offense. No. I'm it, it's not. You can learn this in probably like 20 minutes. I got some books you can read. If you need to know, hit me up in the comments. I'll send I'll, I'll let you know what the books are. Okay. Then you've got <clears throat> wildly successful career at the University of Georgia which, again, my miniature little plug, the SEC is not the NFL. It never has been and never will be. Alabama's best football team they've ever fielded could never beat the 0-16 Browns. Um, People who think that that can happen is just insane. And then we're talking about – go ahead. I was just saying, like, that's just stupid. I hate that argument. So then we have this explosive passing attack that turns the ball over at a high rate. And then we end with – it's a sophisticated passing offense. I, I'm having a hard time putting all this together, but maybe Randy, you've got the key that you can figure this one out for me. There's, yeah, I had a couple issues with that. Um, you could, you're right. The air raid's not a sophisticated passing offense. Um, Patrick Mahomes has had tons of success in the air raid offense, and you can find I, I don't know exactly where it's printed, but I have heard him before say that it is not sophisticated. I've heard him talk about that, that it doesn't require a lot of reading the defense or anything like that. Um, and the reason he's so good at it is just because he's so freaking insanely talented. Um, mm-hmm. But another thing I have with it is with air raid, it just doesn't fit Lamar Jackson. Like Lamar Jackson is Thank not you. An air raid. Somebody else has somebody else is speaking the truth to people here. Like, the, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Like I'm not. I'm not hating on. I don't hate on Lamar Jackson. Just to hate on Lamar Jackson. I but do, but N- that's okay. I, yeah, but I'm, I'm just, the NFL told you what they think about Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to listen. 
They kept mm-hmm. saying it was collusion, this and that. No, you know what? Teams will do whatever it takes to try and win. You know, that's why they go out and, you know, the Cowboys sign someone like Greg Hardy, who's an absolute psychopath. That's why the Browns overlooked the stuff with Deshaun Watson. Um, teams will do what it takes to win. They'll, you know, they'll pay two first round picks for Russell Wilson or, you know, Aaron Rodgers who spends half his life drinking hallucinogenic tea and, They'll take these guys because they think they're going to turn the franchise around. That's what it's going to take. Well, Lamar Jackson was out there for everybody to negotiate with, and nobody wanted to negotiate with him. Um, mm-hmm. he, he he fits. He's a good quarterback in the right system. He probably would fit a you know Chip Kelly esque system. You know he could probably fit. You know obviously the Greg Roman system worked well for him, but the NFL told you what they thought about Lamar Jackson, and he's not a good enough passer for you to win consistently with and that's why let's be honest they didn't look that much different with tyler huntley out there so right tyler huntley made the pro bowl yeah it blew my mind that they were willing to pay jackson all of that exactly especially in an air raid offense where you're asking your quarterback to throw the ball downfield constantly and not turn it over i don't see how lamar jackson's going to do that well he's Um, getting set up into an offense that has a high turnover rate just the offense itself has a high turnover rate Okay, I don't care how wildly successful he is at Georgia doing this stuff. We saw this in Cleveland, and we saw Baker Mayfield throw interceptions at a pretty high rate. And you know what else we saw was uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was in that offense and hated it. And had a meltdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and was over there, him and his buddy Jarvis Landry were screaming for teams to come and trade for him, which, of course, Jarvis never said that because he changed the culture. But he did say it. Um, <laughs> so, but they were over there begging for the Cardinals and the 49ers to come and trade for them because they hated that offense so much. So now Beckham, you know, of course, Beckham wouldn't join it because it's $15 million guaranteed. But it's just it's funny to me. The, the They are a very smart franchise. They've won Super Bowls. They've done some brilliant things to consistently win. But I'm like, this offseason, I'm like, what the hell are y'all doing? Like, yep. you're doing nothing that makes sense. So I, so, I've, I I've said it. I've said before, I think they're just one match away from a dumpster fire. They're just, just one event to spark it, and it just it, it's going to go up in flames. They know – see, I'm going to come back to your other point here. They know who Lamar Jackson is, mm-hmm. and they signed up for it, okay? Yeah. So now you've got to bring in – and I always like to tell this to other people also. We go, Why don't you put Lamar Jackson in a pro-style offense? Well, NFL teams got to watch him run a pro-style offense at Louisville and decided he should play wide receiver in the NFL. So now what we're doing is we're making an offense. I think it's going to be this hybrid thing where like they're going to try to keep Greg Roman's running game and add the the air raid concepts, which you read receivers, not defenses in a in an air raid system, right? So the receivers line up. They look at where the defensive backs are at. They run straight out. This is a traditional air raid. You run straight out, and depends on how that defensive back reacts. That's what the receiver is doing. And so the quarterback has to just watch and see what his receiver does and then throw him the ball. This is why Brandon Whedon was so terrible is because he couldn't anticipate where the receiver is going to be because he's like doing this Oklahoma State thing where he's like watching Oklahoma State also ran an air raid, watching the receiver, just staring him down, waiting for them to stop so we can throw him the ball. But the Ravens know what they have in Lamar Jackson, so this is what they bring in. Yeah. I, I, I just don't get it. Um, and, and we saw just how bad it could go. I mean, you know, Baker Mayfield could be a very accurate quarterback. Um, he was incredibly accurate at Oklahoma, but you put him in that air raid offense and it was like him and Odell Beckham were just never on the same page. He was throwing it 10 yards beyond it because he, 
again. Beckham I would I would dare to say that Baker understood the air raid offense because he played in some kind of a hybrid mix of that stuff at Oklahoma. It so mm-hmm. so yeah. I'm guessing Beckham didn't know what the elf he was supposed to be doing. There you go. And and got all upset. And then, then you got yeah. like people out there going to make a living off of like, let me find a way to trash Baker Mayfield on my film study so I can make myself look smart, you know, stuff going on. But I digress even more. Let's switch topics. Let's go on to the recent NFL rule changes. And we got to wrap this up soon here. So uh, the NFL has made three rule changes. Three. Unos dos tres. Number one, you are now allowed to uh, have an emergency quarterback in uniform on the sidelines, even though they don't count against the, uh, I believe it's 45 day, 45 player. Is that right? 45? 46. 46 that you dress. Um so that's there. That's part of the AFC or excuse me, NFC championship game, right? With Brock Purdy throwing him out there again, hurt. Uh, they've also changed the rule where you can call a fair catch within the first the 25 yards. And I want to stop here for a second, Randy. Maybe you can explain the rule to me because I don't really quite understand it. All I'm understanding is that they're going to allow people to call fair catches between the end zone and the 25. And it's yeah. going to go to the 25. But basically, just anything fair catch on the five, the ten, whatever. It's basically going to be a touchback. So you're giving the the player the option of just, you know, basically doing the touchback I, from there. Um, I think this is going to be a disaster. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it could be. Um, I, I, I get I get the point of it. You know, they, the concussions were on the rise again um, on on kickoff. So I guess the NFL is really trying. To say, you know, trying to lower the concussions, or at least trying to say they are. They don't care about player safety, which I know we're we're going to get into that. But um, they also you also can prove they don't care about player safety with that forty six man rule. I mean, that to me this that's pathetic. You 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 know this is a violent game and players get hurt. So why the hell can't you dress all your entire team and play them all? And and why did they ever get rid of that emergency quarterback uh, rule anyway? It, they sit there and you say they care about player safety and they'll make a rule like this, which is you know. That's just their way of saying they care about it. But I would have to uh, agree. The NFL ownership. We are the Borg. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The NFL owners, although all of you know that I affectionately call the Borg, have decided that this is their homage to player safety. We're going to reduce the amount of concussions on kickoffs by letting people call fair catches. My question is, are you going to change the muff rule? Because if you remember right, if you muff a kickoff, you can't advance it. Right. So a muff here is when you don't catch the ball cleanly. So say you throw up that fair catch wave, you you try to catch the ball, you don't catch it, the ball ends on the ground, and then you jump on it. The ball is going on the three-yard line if that's where you muffed it. So why would you even attempt this? Because you're just screwed if you don't if you drop it. And that's why you're seeing special teams coaches – are adamant that it's not going to help and could cause more problems. Um, I don't understand why they make these rules without, you know, really kind of, I, it's like, I don't know where they get their, their, their ideas from, but they don't get it from those that are involved in the game. It seems like oh, this is, this um, is pretty simple. Oh, look, we have 19 concussions on kickoffs. Let's do something to make it look like we give a crap about our players. Mm. And if we can get JC Treader on board, that's even better. 
Don't get me started on track. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the next rule that was changed. I've so already made NFL... several remarks about how the OT players are actually showing up to OTAs now that Trader's gone. <laughs> oh, Jer- or JC Trader. Okay, so the NFL owners have approved flex scheduling for Thursday night football. So to me, uh, I remember reading an article here by Albert Breer on ESPN who kind of suggested this may go on. And you don't have to push me too far down the conspiracy theory aisle to get me going. Like, the NFL's got on one hand, look at this nice thing thing we're doing for safety. While the other hand's like, yeah, but we're going to take it all away with this hand. You know, so now we've got Thursday Night Football flexing, which my concern. Now, I've noticed that in an amended version of this, you have 28 days in advance. You can only do it between weeks 2 and 17. And, yeah, 28 days in advance was the big one. So that... Fans who had bought tickets and who had travel plans have about four weeks to get out of this or rearrange it for that sake. But that was going to be my biggest concern. If I'm buying Thursday night football tickets, I don't want to be flexed out when I'm getting ready to go on my trip. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I hate the idea of the flexing. It's it's ridiculous. Um, But but you're absolutely right. They, you know, even Thursday night football is proof that they don't care about the player safety because, you know, any one of us can go and, and, you know, suffer some kind of a small injury, you know, like I, I threw my back out last week and, you know, I'm finally getting back into, into it today, you know, and I literally just moved something heavy and hurt myself. These guys are going out there and basically getting hit by a vehicle over and over is what they're doing. They're getting mm-hmm. destroyed. They're getting beat up. And every NFL player will tell you it's not till Wednesday till they really start to feel like they're recovering. So then the NFL is like, cool, we'll put you out on the, football field Thursday night and let you go do it all over again. So if you care about player safety at all, first of all, Thursday night football wouldn't be a thing. The only way you should ever do it is that they had the bye week before, or mm-hmm. if they've had a bye week and they do Thursday and they do Thursday the following week, but to, to do it on a short week like that is absolutely ridiculous. And like I said, it goes back to that 46 player thing. If you care about player safety, let them play their entire team. If somebody needs a breather or whatever, you, you, it's, you know, someone gets injured, you're like, Oh, well we can't, this guy's just got to play the whole game. Cause we couldn't dress everybody. It's, it's, if you care about player safety, then actually care about it. Don't, don't just do these stupid things that, to pretend like it. Oh, they're the Borg. They're 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 going to have yeah. their their way, and you are going to assimilate and give you all. They're going to make you give them all their money. And it I, I, because, I okay. go ahead. I was going to say it works because look at how crazy people got about Deshaun Watson getting fully guaranteed contract. You've got. NBA players, you got major league baseball players, they get fully guaranteed contracts and nobody bats an eye. But then in the NFL, which is the most violent of all these sports where it has the act, you can actually become paralyzed. These are, I mean, we saw a guy almost die on the field. Technically, I think his heart did stop. They said last year, and people are pissed off that the poor defenseless billionaires have to actually pay the guys who were paying the money to go play. They've done such a good job convincing us oh, yeah. that, he, that the players are the bad guys and they're the good guys and nobody even realizes they're doing it where Steve Biscotti going out there, mm, I don't think Deshaun Watson's the right guy to get the money. No, you're pissed Deshaun Watson got the money because now you got to pay Lamar Jackson, you asshole. Don't sit here I, and I, like you're some moral freaking on some moral high ground. See, Randy, we're we're simpatico on this issue. <laughs> I get, so all I get this, angry about all it. <laughs> this stuff you're talking about. Like my my listeners, the all five of them are out there. Yeah, they they uh they hear this every week from me. Like these owners are a bunch of jerks. They like 
take your money. They don't care about anything else. Ooh. Don't sit there and tell me that they're all upset about Deshaun Watson. What they're really upset is he spoke up and said something about his owner, which pissed his owner off. And now they're going to go out and destroy him. You're going to tell me. I, I highlighted a couple weeks ago where the NFL is being investigated by the attorney generals of California and New York because in their headquarters and the offices in Los Angeles where they do NFL Network, they had over 30 complaints from women to HR and the HR department allegedly, allegedly told their supervisors and they were retaliated against. And the, I mean, both states' attorney generals are investigating this. And yeah, then you're going to tell me Deshaun Watson's the problem? Well, look at how quick Robert Kraft's issues went away. Or Remember when yep. uh, it got reported that the Texans paid for like 66 different hotels for Watson and over a 17-month period to have those women there? But then all of a sudden, nothing happened. It's weird how the rich billionaires... Oh yeah, them. But you know, right. Sean Watson's the guy that we all want to hate. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm not saying anything he did was right, but it sure seems like they pick and choose who the bad mm-hmm. guy is and who they're going to highlight as the bad guy. And every single time, people buy it hook, line, and sinker. And they did it again with this contract, mm-hmm. and, and it's absolutely insane. You I don't, I don't the, understand how people don't see it. You get the PR people to come out. You get the NFL employees that look like they're neutral, and then they yeah. come out and they say. But it's not about, you know, this or that. It's about this. And then, the, like, then the talking points are out. And yeah, that's Rich what everybody's Eisen, saying. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you saw Rich Eisen got into it a little with uh, Eddie McDonald from our site. Because Eddie was like, Rich Eisen tweeted something about, the you know, Deshaun Watson's gear fully guaranteed. And Eddie was like, you do realize this is not the first fully guaranteed contract. You know that Aaron Rodgers was able to get a fully guaranteed deal. And Kirk Cousins had a fully guaranteed deal. And then. Eisen, that's not to the tune of $230 million, Edward. It's like, well, yeah, no crap. That's because salaries go up. So mm-hmm. when he got his contract, it was higher. But then you look at some of these other guys, there's, you know, they're going above his per year. But the difference is the reason Cousins got a full guarantee and the reason Deshaun Watson got a full guarantee is because they had options. They were, right. One was in free agency. One was, had 13 freaking teams trying to trade for him. Everyone acts mm-hmm. like the Browns are, you know, the devil because they signed Watson. 13 teams, nearly half of the damn NFL wanted them. Yep. And were and and afterwards, like they there's reports that teams said, Well, we would have matched that contract. We'd have given them the full guarantee. Like so it was because of leverage is why he got the full guarantee. Yep, leverage. But, so you know, and, and that's the same thing in, in our lives, right? I mean, I had a job and I had a supervisor tell me that crap rolls downhill. And then wouldn't let me make the decisions I needed to make, but I was gonna be responsible for his idiotic decisions. Sounds fair. So, and so and so then something I said, well, this is, and then I said, at one point I said, this is what you pay me to do. I'm going to do this job. Jumped down my throat. You do this because you love it and this and this and that. And I was like, you know what? I got options. I don't have to be here. And I left. That's what I did, you know, because I had leverage. I had a skill. Yeah. I could market and I could make that happen. So that's what I did. I mean, why am I going to stick around with this crap when yeah. I can just market myself and get a better pay, better job? Why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't Deshaun Watson do it? Well, and you, you notice like all the people that, you know, they do the sk- the stat scouting and they love the, the QB wins and they'll go on there and be like, oh, Deshaun Watson sucks. The last time he was a starter, he was four and 12. I'm like, you literally paid no attention to what went on there then. Like that, that team was a dumpster fire and they made him the scapegoat. And just like with NFL owners, people were buying a hook, line, sinker. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't, this is why I call them the Borg. They, they work as a collective <laughs> for the good of the collective. That's what they're about. That's why I call them the Borg. They function as a unit. 
Um, well, guys, we're on it. We're already up to way over time. I wanted to be here tonight. So, uh, Randy, any parting thoughts here, man? Oh, not much other than, hey, that's, uh, you know, I'm excited to, I know it's only shorts and uh, t-shirts, but I'm excited to see the Browns at OTAs, excited to see some videos of the new players out there. So, you know, I'm, I'm stoked about this season, just ready to get it going. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I'm getting tired of all the Ravens hate I got to talk to about. I never get tired of hating on the Ravens, but I'd rather have four segments of Browns news than, than trying to deal with you know, other stuff, but I, I'm ready for this to get going. I, I think no matter what happens, I'll still be hating on the owners, man. I, those people just yeah. make me mad. Million Billionaires, I think they can do whatever they want. Anyway, again, you're going to get me upset about these owners, but I should start calling them the rulers of the NFL because that's pretty much how they act. Yeah. <laughs> Ruining the game for everyone. I, I, I can get going on it for a while too, and it, it, it drives me. It drives me crazy because I feel like, there's, there's, there's some people out there that see it, but it's such a small percentage. And, you know, they do a good job. You know, you got guys in the NFL network that are, they pay them. So, of course, yep. you know, they're, they're going to go so out there and defend the owners and make an NFL stand. employee is going to tell us what to think. So they make us and think we're supposed a player to believe it's... To get, yeah, player wants to get paid for his, you know, okay, yeah, he's a bad guy. Yep, he's the bad guy. Yep. All right, well, everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, next week we'll do it all again. Thank you for listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow host Joel Cade on Twitter at The Left Guard. 